With my whole heart I cry. Answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you. Save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They're far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Those are verses 145 through 152 of Psalm 119. Verses 145 to 176 are those appointed for as the psalm for today, Wednesday, April the 6th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our look at the book of Jeremiah today, and we're continuing actually in the same chapter we've been in all week, which is chapter 25. This t- today is verses 20 or 30, sorry, to 38. We're in John's Gospel still in chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. And in Paul's letter to the Roman church, chapter 10, verses 14 to 21. So here we have, you know, he is, Jeremiah has done a couple of things here. He's prophesied destruction for those who remain in Israel or those who escape to Egypt rather than to Babylon. And also he has declared his wrath on the nations. And, and that is to come in time. It's going to be 70 years before this is brought to pass. And in some cases, it's going to be even longer than that. We haven't seen the fullness of this judgment yet. So he says, You, therefore, Jeremiah, shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them, against them, the, them being the nations, the Lord will roar from on high and from his holy habitation utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. So there's this dual judgment. He's going to roar against his fold, his people, and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He's entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. So we see a partial fulfillment of this prophecy of judgment against the nations. We see a a partial fulfillment of that even today, that we see the Lord is continuing to execute justice and to protect his people and to bring justice for his people. And so then he goes on to say, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. And those pierced by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be dung on the surface of the ground. I mean, it's a horrible situation. You've heard me talk about Rwanda before. If you just want to see what it looks like for bodies to be stacked and, and laid along the ground, then then if if you want to see it, and I don't know why you would, go look at anything to do with the Rwandan genocide, and you'll see it's just a hideous kind of uh, a thing. Was God executing justice, a judgment, I mean, against the Tutsi? No, I don't think so. Uh, there was something radically different going on there. That was uh, that was demonic. Um, there, were, there were demonic lies told, and those lies included things like, well, those Tutsi people, they have tails and things like that, in spite of the fact that there were Hutu who were married to them. But but whenever we demonize people like that, then, then we, we will do horrible things. If we believe that that other person is something other than a person— then, then we'll do horrible things. But the Lord is the one who, who is, all judgment is given to him, not to us. 
We're, we're not to judge other people in that way. We're to pray for people and we're to have pity on people who don't believe. That's the bottom line, is, is that we're supposed to have pity on those people. We're supposed to, if they're brothers, we're supposed to call, recall them from their sins, and if, if we're to pray in all instances. Um, so we, we can never celebrate this, um, this judgment. It should not be something that, that we look forward to, because there will be people, including people we know and love, who are judged and found wanting. So it's never something to celebrate. I think I've mentioned this before, that, that one of the things they were not allowed to do was to celebrate, and they're still not allowed to, the, the destruction of Pharaoh's army or the death of the firstborn. They're, that is, is intended to be mourned even by those he considered to be his enemies. He goes on to say, Wail, you shepherds, and cry out, and roll in ashes, you lords of the flock. And these are his people. These are the shepherds of Israel that are being judged here. For the days of your slaughter and dispersion have come, and you shall fall like a choice vessel. No refuge shall remain for the shepherds, no escape for the lords of the flock. A voice, the cry of the shepherds, and the wail of the lords of the flock. For the Lord is laying waste their pasture, and the peaceful foals are devastated. Because of the fierce anger of the Lord, like a lion, he has left his lair, for their land has become a waste, because of the sword of the oppressor, and because of his fierce anger. So, yes, Nebuchadnezzar is uh, the oppressor, but it's because of the Lord's fierce anger. And then he's therefore his servant in carrying out the judgment of God against his people in the way that God referred to him as servant in the passage yesterday. God can use, even the unwilling, and certainly those who don't know that they're being used, can be used by God. His goal is always that they know him, that they come and turn to him. But he will use all. He'll use whatever means are necessary. And so here we see that, that he is speaking both against the nations and then also against the flock, the shepherds of the flock and the leaders of the flock. In the gospel today, kind of ties in hand in glove with that. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. When uh, we were in Knoxville, somebody brought uh, something to us they had experienced in another Episcopal church where they had been, uh, and it was called Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and it was a way to teach children. And it, it, it taught parables uh, was largely the way people, they, the kids were intended to come to know him. There were a lot of manipulatives and things like that. And so I made, did all the woodworking to build those things because it was really expensive <laughs> otherwise. And so the, the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd begins with the understanding of Jesus as the shepherd like this, as the Good Shepherd. And it, it begins with, I had to build this little rock sheepfold with a little door in it. And so that thing would open, and you, the sheep would come in, and the shepherds would come in. There would be multiple flocks in that sheepfold every single night. It was for protection. You didn't want them grazing out on the open land because there were predators there. So they brought the flocks into the sheepfold at night, and, and each shepherd took care of his own flock. And in the morning, when he would go out, he would go out, and he would call his sheep. And the, the, the shepherd would call his sheep, and those sheep knew his voice. And so if you had four flocks in there and one shepherd went out and called them, then only his sheep would come out of the sheepfold at that time. He didn't have to sort them out. They sorted themselves because they had imprinted on his voice. 
So he says that the one who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. So one of them would have been deputized to, to kind of manage that process of coming in and going out. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out, just as I told you. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes out before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. It's important that we know his voice, that we be so uh, accustomed to his presence that we understand when it's his voice and not the voice of another. A stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. I've got some raccoons <laughs> that feed on my back porch at night, mostly because I feed them on the back porch at night. But what's interesting is, is the ones that I can identify, you know, because they, they have different characteristics. I mean, I've got one that's got a tail that's about, I don't know, three inches long, and he's called Stubby. And then there's another one that I call Amos. And then, so there's, there's all kinds of different ones, but I can identify them. Uh, those I, I've seen and observed enough to be able to identify them. When they come onto the porch, I can speak to them, and they will stay, and they'll eat while I'm speaking to them. The others that I don't yet know, they'll run as soon as I open the door out onto the uh, to the deck. But heaven forbid Suzanne should come around. They will run from her. I can speak to them. I can sit there, you know, a foot away from them. They'll take food from my hand and all that, but they won't hang around if Suzanne comes because they don't know her. <clears throat> this figure of speech Jesus used with them for they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them because they didn't understand. He says again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and find in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the safety. He is the way to come in and out. It's the way is what he means by the door. I'm the way. I'm the way to everything. And then goes on to say, I'm the good shepherd. Well, there's only one, God. He will shepherd his own flock, and so he does. He gathers his flock through Jesus, and then he shepherds his flock by the Holy Spirit. All those things are connected together. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. They don't belong to him. He's nothing more than a hired hand. It's not to say that you can't have good shepherds people who do, who, as opposed to these awful ones, these hired hands. But, but Jesus is speaking specifically about those who don't care about the sheep. It, they're in it for themselves. It's, it's just a job. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. They belong to me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, here he's getting into the weeds a little bit, isn't he? I mean, it, because nobody's believing that he's going to die. Messiah doesn't die. Messiah specifically doesn't die on a cross. And yet Jesus persists in using this image to talk about his mission. I lay down my life for the sheep. In other words, I'm willing to die for the lives of the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also so that they will listen and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd because all respond to the same voice. I heard one of the dumbest sermons I've ever heard in my life one time on that passage right there. What they said was is that there are others who will come in in the end who are not of this flock. 
They can believe all kinds of things and come in ultimately, and then Jesus will shepherd them all. Well, that's idiotic. It clearly can't possibly be stretched to mean anything like that. I have other sheep that are of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Well, if they're listening to the voices of of all these other possibilities, then they're not listening to Jesus' voice because those people aren't directing them towards Jesus as John had done. So it's, it's the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. No, there's only one way to the Father. There's only one shepherd. And if, if there are others who would be under shepherds, they must point people to Jesus so that they can then hear his voice for themselves. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It's a willing sacrifice. God didn't take his life. He gave his life. He laid it down willingly. He wasn't murdered. He laid his life down willingly. I have authority to lay it down, which is an unusual thing. In Judaism, they believe that the the person is a paramount value because it's created in the image of God. And so if somebody comes against that person to harm it or kill it, then they would they believe that your primary duty is to prevent that. So not only is suicide not okay, neither is allowing someone else to kill you. Even if you lay down your life willingly, it's a form of suicide is the way they understand it. So when Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down, what he's saying is is that, that it, it, it doesn't seem like the right thing to do, in Judaism, but but I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge have I received from my Father. So the plan was for that to happen, and the Father said yes to the plan. Yes, that is fine. He has the authority to lay down his life in the way that no one else actually ever has had the ability or the authority to lay down their lives. So in the epistle... Paul's talking about how do we come to faith. He's speaking specifically about his people in this passage. He's been talking about the, the Jews. How do, they, how do they come to faith? So how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And that, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? So Paul picks up on these verbs the whole time. You can't call on him unless you've believed. You can't believe in him unless you've heard. You can't hear unless someone preaches. You can't preach unless you're sent. So you have to be sent to go preach this message. We, we have to be careful about who we send to do these things. As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In other words, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing to be used to preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And what Isaiah was told before he began his mission was that nobody's going to hear you. They're not going to listen to you. But it's important to go ahead and preach it anyway. Because then nobody can claim they weren't told. They can't claim ignorance. They can't claim to be innocent by virtue of ignorance. But I ask, have, uh, no, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I asked, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In other words, the gospel is being preached in all places 
as we speak right now. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. In the same way that God uses Nebuchadnezzar as his instrument of judgment, and he uses um, Pharaoh to gain glory for himself in Egypt and Pharaoh's hardness of heart, then we see the same thing here, and that is is that, that Moses says, I'm going to make you jealous by bestowing my love on another people. And that's exactly what Paul says is going on with, with this, uh, the, the Jewish reluctance to come to Christ was is that because they, they, they see and they hear the claim that God is with these people and here they are. They don't have a temple. They did at the time. Probably Paul wrote this epistle of the Romans, maybe. Um, but they, they're no longer truly a nation because they, they don't have their own land. Now it's ruled by Rome. So Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who didn't ask for me. And it was, God has extended his mercy, his grace, and his salvation to others, to people outside the original covenant community. But of Israel, he says, all day long have I held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Sometimes I can wonder if the church, including John Green, um, aren't those to whom God holds out his hands and invites us to come back to him because we've strayed away and we've allowed our sins to take us away from him and we've become inured to the ministration of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. And so here we see Paul using this image to say the people who have gone who who are far away from him he has brought close but those who are already close won't come near won't be healed and won't receive his salvation if god judges israel and all israel is not included in the number that is to make up eternal life then will he not do the same to his church and the people of his church Let's recommit ourselves today and come close to him that we might receive forgiveness and that we might receive life in the name of Jesus.